0: Cool, cool. Well, bless you all. We are uh, in the middle of a series that we started last week called Stand Out, uh, The Humble Way to an Exceptional Life or an Outstanding uh, Life. And what we're doing uh, over the course of this series is looking at the book of First Peter and looking at uh, this incredible guy who uh, is really an instructor and a teacher to the early church, uh, in particular the church in in Asia Minor and in the provinces of Asia as Christianity is growing as Christianity is expanding uh, in the uh new uh new world the world that's new to Christianity as the gospel goes out from Jerusalem and some of that through uh, persecution through diaspora through them being dispersed and persecuted and churches planted all in Asia Minor and uh Christians who are in some ways marginalized in that environment and what can we learn from them? What can we learn from how Peter instructs them as Christians in our day and in our time uh, to some degree marginalized to some degree uh, wrestling with where we fit in society, with where we fit in the world? How do we stand out in the best possible way, uh, as we said last week, there are lots of ways in which the church uh, stands out, and we see that in the media and we see that in you know the classic uh, images that we get from you know. Homer Simpson and the, the Simpsons and Ned Flanders and and uh, you know evangelicalism in the United States and and all of that. Uh, there's ways in which Christianity stands out, and some of them are not good ways, and some of them are are, are good ways. But how do we stand out in our culture in the best uh, possible way? And what we're going to talk about this morning is where uh, Peter starts uh, in in his book. Uh, after his little introduction to the letter, he starts. With the concept of hope. He starts with the the simple idea of hope. How do we as Christians have an outstanding hope in this time and in this place, a time where uh, hope is not always uh, something easy to find? Uh, In the 70s and 60s even, there was sort of a residual euphoria in our culture, uh, around the victory from the Second World War, lots of rebuilding, lots of resources. And out of that sense of wealth and prosperity in that time, we got things like uh, the famous uh, Hanna-Barbera cartoon, The Jetsons, and that's the picture of, of sort of a mansion from The Jetsons. and And there was this sort of wave of futuristic hope that the world would be filled with uh, you know, we'd all have flying cars and uh, and be able to, uh, you know, go shooting about in our rocket ships and and even uh, some of the the TV and movies of the time. Even though there's, of course, in every great plot there's conflict. We had things like Star Wars or Star Trek, birthed in the in the 60s, where this uh, vision of the future of humanity having pulled itself out from being a warring uh, tribal beastly, nuclear, war-fearing bunch to people who were just going to go and do goodness in the world, not even for money, but just to improve ourselves, and that's sort of this doctrine of Star Trek. Uh, but now that sort of doctrine doesn't fly as much in the world. There's a, there's a much less hopeful, hopeful vision of what our future is as people, uh, and, and we see you know this vision of the future from uh, the image below that there's so much out there in in media and cultural culture that isn't utopian but it's dystopian it's a it's a vision of the future that sees humanity going through some apocalyptic cataclysmic events in our future that take us to the bare bones of of what humanity can be and, and this this incredible brokenness, our cities shattered. This image is from a, a movie called uh, Elysium. Uh, and I'm just gonna have a look at a couple of images from, from pop culture. This is an older movie. This is from uh, uh, a movie, it's sort of classic plague meets zombies meets, you know, all of this kind of stuff. There's a nice hopeful thought, be thankful for everything for soon there will be nothing. Uh, this is our vision for the future now in our culture, and if you look at what we 're seeing in in media and in television, uh, almost every vision that points toward the future uh, is lacking uh, an enthusiasm and lacking a kind of hope here 's just some of the big franchises that that we 're seeing now in in television and movies and then there 's just I could have just filled that screen, I could have made them all smaller and put double the number on there. We have the one hundred. Scorch Trials, and it's slightly older one, V for Vendetta. Look at the, the huge franchise, Hunger Games. Uh, look at uh, Elysium, Divergent, all these big uh, projects that are in, and so many of them actually based on, on young adult fiction as well, right? That this message is going forward uh, into the world that um, the way you are going to have to live and have to survive in the world that is coming is to be able to be able to, well, you have to at least, at the very least, be able to survive. You have to know about camping. I mean, <laughs> you, you, just, you have to know about camp. There's no surviving if you can't camp and, and if you don't at least know somebody who can hunt it's really important for our future to know somebody who can hunt and if you know somebody who can forge the spring of an old pickup truck into a sword that's going to be really helpful for you as well and it would be really excellent if you knew somebody with a cache of machine guns that would be super super helpful because this is the future we uh, have envisioned uh, for, for ourselves and if you look at the plot lines of every single one of these stories Uh, Every single one of them, they're based around this incredible conflict that the heroes have of how do I take my life and my basic humanity, and how do I cause it to survive in harsh circumstances. And really, in all of these shows, it's just situation after situation after situation where our ethics are challenged. And, and in every case, you have sort of like the young hero who's like, no, no, don't kill the prisoner. They're, they're unarmed. Don't kill the prisoner who's unarmed. And then two episodes later, that person is torturing the prisoner because their boyfriend has been captured by the enemy. And, uh, and, and it's all of a sudden okay to torture Uh, this person. And so there's this constantly degraded thing where humanity uh, becomes more and more a group of people that can do harsh and difficult and violent things to survive. And that's sort of this vision that we have uh, going forward. The, The essential hope is that you will be tough enough to kill and torture people when necessary, but you'll still be able to feel a little bit nice at the end. And there will be a glimmer of hope inside you for humanity to rise from the ashes <laughs> and that's where we're at that's uh, that's where we're at in so much of our our media and and television simon actually has a great uh, great little bit when you talk about some of this uh, dystopian fiction and you talk to simon talk to simon ask him what he's going to do about the zombie apocalypse and he just says i'm not going to camp i am not going to need a bunker i just plan to go out in the first wave uh, <laughs> you know, just get taken out right at the beginning. You know, that's, that's Simon's plan <laughs> for the apocalypse. Um, but the biblical vision for the future is different. The biblical vision for the future is quite different. And I want to read this quote from uh, Martin Luther because this uh, sums up really a, a beautiful piece of what really the whole book of First Peter is saying to us. By opening our lives to God in Christ... We become new creatures. This experience, with, which Jesus spoke of as the new birth, is essential if we are to be transformed nonconformists. if we're to stand out. Only through an inner spiritual transformation do we gain the strength to fight vigorously the evils of the world in a humble and loving spirit, as long as you have a sword and a machine gun. I didn't see that in Martin Luther's stuff. Uh, Martin Luther King Jr., of course, uh, is almost being written out of history as as a Christian uh, person, but Martin Luther King Jr. was a, a pastor. He was a preacher and, and a phenomenally knowledgeable and solidly theological one. And almost every one of his speeches that you see, if you look on YouTube and you go see uh, Martin Luther King Jr., uh, Speeching, speeching, speaking, um, you're going to see uh, the part of it where he's not sounding Christian-y, but if you look a little deeper and you read the texts of some of those speeches which have been saved over time, uh, you look at the second half of his speech and it's pure gospel. It's pure gospel. And, and so it's really important to look at a person like that and look at the whole person, not just who uh, the current media is, is presenting to ourselves. And so uh, first uh, in First Peter, we're, we're getting this... Uh, vision of the future that, that Peter has for a church that's under duress for them compared to what we experience. Like, and we're certainly experiencing times where we feel like hope I- is lacking. Uh, we look at the market and the price of oil and the real estate market in our area and all these sort of things. And we feel a little bit under duress, a little bit lacking in hope. And we look at the church and its numbers, uh, sort of statistically in decline. Um, Certainly, uh, the place we're in is still not nearly the place where this church in Asia Minor was. Uh, These were people who were all newly Christians, and while there wasn't at that time any sort of state-sponsored persecution of the church, that didn't happen until uh, 200 AD, somewhere in that neighborhood, it was still legal to bring people into conformity with uh, the world religion at the time, which was emperor worship and pagan worship, uh, by, by physical means. So Christians in that time and space, there wasn't state-sponsored uh, a sort of persecution of Christians, but a husband could beat the Christianity out of his wife and beat it out of his slaves and all that. So the church was in a time of, of great duress, and we have a really early documents from, from that period of time. And, and these people were not having a good time of it not having a good time of standing out for the gospel in in that place Uh, and so it's into that sort of environment that uh, that peter speaks and let's just read our text for this morning Uh, And I should just make a note here that I'm I'm reading from the NASB. Often when you're reading uh, some of these long sort of logical treatises in the epistles, it helps to read a little bit more literal translation. So there's a a little bit of slightly older language here, but it's actually going to help us understand it a bit better. Um, Let's uh, start in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed By various trials, so that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy, inexpressible. And full of glory, obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. As to this salvation, the prophets who prophesied of the grace that would come to you made careful searches and inquiries, seeking to know what person or time the spirit of Christ within them was indicating as he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you. In these things which have now been announced to you uh, through those who preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Now, that's a long text, and we're not going to actually uh, unpack the whole thing. We're just going to unpack the first part. But I want to read you the whole thing because, in the original language, all of that was one sentence. All of that was one sentence. Peter was really excited about hope. Peter was really excited about hope. He, he just sort of takes this time. Uh, he introduces the idea of hope that comes... Uh, through Christ, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and he just piles clause after clause after clause on top of it, in the hopes that we'll understand it fully, uh, we'll understand every bit about it, that we won't misunderstand it. He wants us to get this in, a, in a really big way. He wants us to get the whole thing, and and you know, there's no way. I mean, there's three or four sermons just in this one sentence. Uh, but we want. I want to just unpack the core of it, the sort of central controlling idea of the sentence, the bit that every little. Uh, additional clause is there to support. And I just want to unpack this, this little bit, sort of right here in the first sort of quarter of it. Um, first off, uh, all this is according to his great mercy. All of this is according to God's great mercy. Now that word mercy uh, is a, is a signal to those who are reading it. And again, he's reading all of this to people who are primarily at this stage, Jewish people. This is one of the fairly early letters. Uh, he's writing this to Jewish people uh, who have been dispersed out of Jerusalem into Asia Minor. And when he writes this word mercy, he's, he's wanting to understand something. The word is elos. It's used 170 times in Greek translations of the Old Testament, and it's almost always in those examples uh, there referring to uh, not just um Pity, not mercy that's like a pity or a compassion, but mercy that is tied to covenant loyalty. It's a mercy that's tied to a sense of God's ongoing, loving, loyal commitment to his people. When we think of pity, we often think of of pity as a response to a, a current situation. And so when we think of our own lives and we think of the areas where we're struggling for hope, we sort of wish that God would just, you know, take a moment. He's quite busy. He's, he's got a lot on the go. I mean, he's taken a lot of uh, phone calls and emails and, and he's texting all the time. And we just hope he's going to notice our situation. And he's going to be able to to take pity on us in that moment and and deliver some hope or deliver Uh, something to us, but this word mercy talks about a broader and bigger commitment, a commitment that has everything to do with God's ongoing relationship with you and with his church, and not only his relationship with you now, but his historical relationship with you, Uh, all that he's walked with you through in the past. uh, He's shown a commitment to you. He's shown a commitment to his people, and this uh, sense of hope that comes to us comes from that sense of a long-term Commitment, it says he's caused us to be born again. He's caused us to be born again. Again, that born again is is another uh, important Greek word. It's anagoneo. And what's interesting about that word is that it, it only appears in Peter's books. It doesn't appear in extra-biblical writing. It's essentially, as far as we know, a word that Peter made up. It just doesn't appear anywhere else in Greek. What I think it is is I think Peter is trying to brand "born again." It's his hash, It's a hashtag, "again born." That's what Anna Ganeo. Ganeo is born. Anna is again. Peter is hashtagging "again born." Hashtag "again born," and he's trying to coin a phrase. We don't really know what that's what that's all about. We don't sort of know the the depth of that word. And there's I mean there's a few places where things like that appear outside of biblical literature. Uh, but it 's almost all of those usages of the word are in dispute, but this one appears in in first Peter uh, one three here in first peter one twenty three and on and on and he, and he 's really taking this concept of born again and he 's trying to roll it into one word and so he 's talking now to a slightly more advanced a more developed understanding of what christianity is it 's a signal to us that that born again is something that was really important to the people in the early church. It was important. Uh, in in their lives and, and it's connected with this idea of being born into a family being born into a family uh, when you're born because we're going to talk about inheritance here in a minute is you, you get born into a family and, and when you're born into a family when you're part of a family then all of the responsibilities of that family all of the life of that family and all of the future of that family is something that you're connected with we're going to see that when we look at the word uh, inheritance in just a minute. But born into a living hope, and that word is, uh, is, is elpis, and there's, there's other words for hope that are sort of soft words for hope, that are sort of like wish. I kind of wish that hope would come. I, I kind of wish that something great would happen. I kind of wish I would win the lottery. I, I kind of wish that, uh, that, uh, that I would be healed. But, but this word for hope is a word that is, is tied with actual expectation. And we see this again in the connection to the the idea of inheritance. That the hope that we have isn't a hope for something temporar, temporal, temporal or temporary. The hope that we have is a hope that is is a solid hope. It's a it's a hope that is an expectation of salvation. It is a hope that is known. Uh, and and when we look at this word inheritance, when when you receive an inheritance, and and our concept of what an inheritance is as people is a little bit um, a little bit different, right? Like like we sort of hope that you know someday when our parents kick off, there'll be a little cash left over. <laughs> Sorry, Dad. Uh, <laughs> we we don't really hope that. We don't really we don't really think that way, right? We we there's there's sort of a, in in our culture there's kind of a real disconnect. Like I really want my my dad to in, enjoy his life, and, and if he spends every dime he has. Uh, Doing what what he's called to do in the world, and then I go forward without without any of that. I'm I'm happy, but the the Jewish concept of of an inheritance was really really different. Uh, when when you are receiving your inheritance or thinking about your inheritance, you're thinking about something that you have current management of. You have current management of it. You're working in your family. You're working in your home. When, when we go, we grow up, we go to university. We choose a different path from our parents. We go in a different way. We do our thing, and our lives diverge almost completely from, from the life of our families. But that just wasn't the way that they thought. There was a deep connection between the generations in that culture. And so I I want us to see that as well in terms of thinking about the hope that we have that's outstanding from our culture. The hope that we have is deeply connected uh, to not just us, but the generation that preceded us and the generation that follows us. Our hope is connected relationally uh, through the, the church. And this idea that we, I mean, just to look at some of these prepositions here, to a living hope to obtain an inheritance, uh, we have this, our hope is to obtain an inheritance. Right? That's our hope. Our hope is to obtain an inheritance. Our hope is that that this thing which is 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 in our future, but we know it kind of already. Our our fingers are in it, our our hands are in it. And and the idea that, that this all happens through the resurrection of, of Jesus Christ, uh, Peter is doing something really, really powerful with his language here. What he's really doing is letting us anchor ourselves uh, in these moments of trouble, moments of trial, moments of struggle, moments of loss of loved ones, moments of the pain of, uh, of separation and the pain of divorce, uh, sick children, uh, chronic illness, all of the things that we struggle with. What uh, what Peter is doing is saying our hope is uh, in, in an inheritance, a tangible inheritance that's in the future, a salvation that is coming from the Lord, and we anchor ourselves reaching to the future And we also anchor ourselves reaching to the past. We anchor ourselves, our hope is found uh, not in an idea or a theology, but it's found in the fact of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Our hope is founded in the historical fact of the resurrection of Jesus. That this is something that happened It's not something that somebody made up. This is something that happened that dramatically affected the lives of people. And just to understand this, remember this is Peter writing this. Remember this is Peter writing this. Do you remember who Peter was? Do you remember where Peter was? Remember Peter who denied Christ three times? Remember Peter who watched his Savior die on the cross. His hope for the future, his hope for the restoration of the kingdom of Israel, everything that Peter had imagined would come in terms of uh, political and military victory for uh, the, the kingdom of God through the person of Jesus Christ. Peter who had that absolutely shattered as he denied Christ and then watched Christ die on the cross. Peter felt in that moment all of his hope die. And then Peter met Jesus again. Then Peter met Jesus again. Uh, his hope is in the resurrection. The resurrection of Jesus Christ. That, that this person that he knew and had hope in and saw him die came back and defeated death. And this was apocalyptic to Peter. Peter. This was apocalyptic to Peter. This is world-changing, world-shaking, world-shaping, and it has to be world-changing for us. So our hands are, are reaching forward to this tangible connection to salvation that comes in the future and reaching back to the historic fact of the resurrection. And we could spend a lot of time on apologetics around that idea of the resurrection, and I could spend a lot of time just sort of showing you uh, what, what we mean by, by that is a historical fact that it's uh, not uh, a fairy tale, that it's something that really happened. I'd be happy to do that with you. But, but even think of your own lives and your historical connection with the resurrection power of Jesus. I have had way too many coincidental encounters with the power of Jesus to imagine this is a fairy tale. I have a history with God, with him speaking to me, with him showing me things, uh, giving me ideas of things before they happen, with him meeting me in moments of pain and moments of trial and and coming and comforting me, uh, with him, with with time after time, Anna and I in our marriage of of being on the brink of financial disaster because we're doing ministry in some place and they, they can't pay us and we can't buy groceries and seeing God deliver us time and time and time again. Uh, God has been faithful to me. And, and you have. And if you have time after time after time. Of connecting with the incredible faithfulness of God. And if you're not a Christian. If you don't have that history with God yet. Just get your Christian friend. Whoever brought you here. To just tell you stories. Of the faithfulness of God. We have a history of interaction with a God who saves us. He loves us. He delivers us. We have a future ahead. And just to to touch this bit, to obtain an inheritance which is, and and he goes on to describe this idea of inheritance, because it's not just an inheritance that you can connect with now, but it's an inheritance that's protected, an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away. And what Peter is doing here, and we can't see it in in our translations, but he's actually doing a little three-point alliteration here uh, with with Greek words. He's he's using the word apathartos, uh, amiantos, and amarathanos, which mean uh, imperishable, indestructible, untaintable, and just won't wear out. The inheritance that we have in God, not only is it something we connect with as an idea in the future, but it's not something that's going to change. It's not something that can be destroyed. Nothing can come against it, uh, nothing tangible. No enemy can attack it. No enemy can destroy it from the outside in. You as a sinful person, me as a sinful person, we cannot taint it. We, We can't defile it. We can't make it so that it's ugly and gross and we don't really want it anymore. We don't have the power to do that by our sin. Our sin is not enough to do that. God's salvation is greater than that. You can't disqualify yourself from the love of God. You, you might ultimately be able to walk away from it and choose to reject the love of God, but, but your brokenness can't defile it. You can't wreck it. You can't ruin it. And it's not going to fade away. It's not going to just get old and wither. And time is not going to rust it into the ground like most of our cars and the other things we put our hope in. Time and lots of time uh, can't take that from us. Time can't destroy it. And he, he, he's, he's saying it is protected by the power of God. And the word power is, is the power of God that spoke the universe into existence. By the might of God. By the strength of God. Through faith. And it goes on clause after clause we're about a third of the way through one sentence peter keeps piling it on and piling it on um but i just want to pull this one thread from the next little bit in all this you greatly rejoice and this is where our hope is outstanding is, is is so different from the hope of the world. Remember the hope of the world that we talked about, the, the hope that is just about grit, the hope that is just about hanging on, the hope that is about trying to learn how to camp and use a sword and uh, hopefully find a bunker with some guns in it. This hope is a hope that causes you to rejoice. It's far greater than any temporary hope. It's far greater than any false hope. Uh, the 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 uh, CEO of Revlon, uh, you know the cosmetics company? Uh, The cosmetics company, Revlon, this is what he said to you. Uh, He said to uh, one of his employees, uh, he said this. He said, in the factory, we make cosmetics, and in the store, we sell hope. We sell hope to women. (laughs) Isn't that your hope? Good makeup? Isn't that where... I'm pressing the edit button in my head because I could go really too far with this bit, right? Uh, But... uh, (laughs) You know, our, our hope is is not in in these temporal things. Our hope is not uh, in in consumerism. Our hope is not in in uh, so many things that we we put our hope in. Uh, we have a hope that transcends all that, that enables us to rejoice, to walk in joy, to walk in. Uh, I mean th- these words are like are are almost explosive, like in the Greek, they would be exploding off the page, and this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been distressed by various trials and when he's talking about not just distressed by various trials, like how about that like like we use the word random all the time. you ever spend any time with with young teens, every second word out of their mouth is random, it's a word for just anything that's unexplainable, just random, whatever. It's just, you know, you're oppressed by random trials. You know, it's random trials. Um, you know, that's, that's sort of what, what Peter's saying. Any trial, whatever it is, any random trial that you're facing, uh, you will greatly rejoice with joy, inexpressible and full of glory. And in order to have that joy in the trials that you're struggling with, you have to do what Peter is calling us to do, to connect yourself, Uh, to that sense of inheritance, that sense of the future, and connect yourself to the power of the resurrection, that sense of the fact, the event of what Jesus Christ did in the past. And so if you find yourself in your life struggling to find hope, it's probably because you're disconnected from the reality of the idea of the future that God has for you and the reality of the power of what he's done in the past. And that's really very, very simply uh, my prayer for us this morning is that we would have an outstanding hope that is far, far, far more than than what our culture experiences or has when we stand up together. Father, I ask that hope would fill this room. Uh, I, I don't even know how to do this. I, d- I don't know how we can do this father but I ask that as a gift from your kingdom a gift from you father that you would enable us to see our lives in any of the confusion in any of the fear in any of the hopelessness any of the depression we struggle with here father some of it chemical and some of it medical and some of it emotional and contextual. Father, but I ask that wherever we're at in the struggle at this moment, that you would uh, spiritually, by your power, however you want to do it, toss us a line to an understanding of your glorious and beautiful future for us. Let us see that as much, much more of a present reality than we've imagined. And would you cause us to believe in the resurrection, that death has been defeated, that sin has been destroyed, that life uh, is renewed again and again by your power, and that our hope is protected by your power. Would you let us be people of radical outstanding, exceptional hope? Pray for those struggling with hope this morning, struggling with fear, struggling with finances, struggling with addiction, struggling with relationships. who feel in this moment isolated in time, would you uh, connect them with uh, your great past, this great event of the resurrection, and with your great future that it unleashes? Let hope arise by the power of your spirit. Let hope arise.